Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. We are so happy that you have decided to join us. Hopefully, you will find the next few minutes challenging and refreshing as we consider together how God is asking us to respond to His grace. If you are listening because you are unable to join us at our physical location, thank you for keeping in step with us, and we will look forward to seeing you in person next Sunday. If you are joining us from outside of Anchorage, then please drop us a line and let us know where you are listening in from. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Do you guys know that we have an online community? You aware of that? People actually watch us, join us online. We have some hidden cameras around the room. And, uh, you know, if you are, if there's ever a situation where you're not able to attend, then, uh, you know, we'd love to have you join us online. It's also a great way for uh, you to introduce uh, Awaken Church to uh, your friends if they're nervous about coming. They think they might, you know, get into something strange. You can confirm their fears by having them watch this morning online <laughs> with some jokes about walking into the bar. <laughs> You're already bracing yourself. Oh, boy. Well, there are three vampires who walked into a bar. The first one says, I'll have a pint of blood. The second one says, I'll have one too. The third one says, I'll have a pint of plasma. The bartender says, so that'll be two bloods and one blood light. That's a bloody good joke, isn't it? (laughs) That was for the medical community. Here's one for the scientific community. A neutron walks into a bar and orders a drink. When the neutron gets his drink, he asks the bartender, how much do I owe you? The bartender replies, for you, neutron, no charge. I could literally do this all day. <laughs> uh, this is why my kids love me so much. Uh, for the musicians in the room, so E flat walks into a bar, and the bartender says, sorry, we don't serve minors. <laughs> mm. yeah. Okay. I'm going to have at least, <laughs> at least one joke with a horse in it. So a horse walks into the bar, the shocked bartender uh, points a finger his way and in alarm yells, hey, and the horse says, you were reading my mind, weren't you? <laughs> All right, here's the ultimate dad joke. A sandwich walks into a bar. The bartender says, sorry, we don't serve food here. That's pretty good. You guys can use these if you want. In your workplaces, in your schools, wherever you go, you're welcome to repeat these. Uh, Okay, time for one more. Um, A bartender says, we don't serve time travelers in here. A time traveler walks into a bar. (laughs) That joke might have been ahead of your time. (laughs) Okay, last one. Um, The past, present, and the future walk into a bar. I'm telling you, it was tense. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, that's pretty good, huh? I thought that last one might be kind of tough to get, so I was warming you up for a while, but I, you know, you got you in the mode. The reason I'm telling you all those is because Jesus told a story that started in a similar fashion. Are you ready? We're talking this morning about Jesus and the traitors, and I use the word traitors to help us understand how the Jewish people felt about tax collectors. Um, Matthew chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 18 and verse 10, Jesus starts his story with two men went to the temple to pray. You see the similarities? (laughs) One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. Um, Jesus told several stories that started this way or contrasted the tax collector with the Pharisee. Because the Pharisee was on one end of the moral spectrum. The Pharisees were the group of people that got it right. They read the Old Testament. They memorized the Old Testament. They had the Old Testament literally hanging from them They obeyed the Old Testament in ways that the Old Testament didn't even know it should have been obeyed. These people, they got it right, and they went beyond getting it right. They got it right plus. Absolutely amazing people, these Pharisees, when it came to personal morality. At least on the exterior. At least in the area that other people saw. The tax collectors, however, they were on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. They had done everything wrong. They were sort of morally reprobate to begin with, but they went the extra mile. They took their evil and they shoved it right up in people's backs, right where it was the most painful. Because the thing that they did was as Jewish people, they aligned themselves with a foreign, oppressive government. They became politically and personally loyal to a foreign, oppressive government. And they became the enforcers of the most uncomfortable part of being oppressed by this foreign government. The most uncomfortable part was the part where when you go out and you work hard all day to catch, let's say, 100 fish, you're going to come back to the beach and you're going to unload maybe up to 70 of your fish and those aren't going to go to you. Those are never going to enter into your personal economy. Those are going to go into the economy of Rome. And if that tax collector wants a little extra that day, are you going to lose 10 more fish? Because that tax collector has a party that night where he's going to be serving your fish. Tax collectors went even further. You see, if you had a bad attitude 
about giving up your fish or your wheat or whatever it was that you had? Oh, well, they had a hotline to the militia. They had a hotline to the authorities. And you and your family could be in trouble really quick. And because the tax collectors had access to this level of authority, by the way, there was nobody they, they being the Romans, there was nobody that they protected more than their tax collectors. And there was nothing that they cared about more than the flow of goods and services to the Roman Empire. Jesus was one thing. He was a revolutionary, and they stamped him out, or so they thought. But protecting the tax collectors, this was an entirely different priority. Because we know, as Jesus tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so these tax collectors, they had a hotline like none other. When they picked up the red phone and asked for enforcement, enforcement was on the way. Tax collectors abused this power and authority rampantly. How are you feeling about tax collectors? Tax season is coming up, by the way. But we really are under a completely different kind of regime. We even like to think our regime is good, actually. Matthew 5 and verse 46 is another example of tax collectors being used as an example of the most morally reprobate in this culture. Jesus says, when he's talking about loving your enemies, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. You can see Jesus was well aware that the tax collectors were the worst that there was. Another example is in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17. This is where Jesus is uh, teaching about what you do if you have a problem with somebody else uh, in the church. Uh, The first thing you do is you go and talk to them directly and you try to figure it out between the two of you. If that doesn't work, then uh, you bring a friend along and see if they can maybe mediate between the two of you. And then your last sort of, you know, your last resort is to take it before the church body, uh, before the elders of the church, and ask them to judge. And Jesus says that if this person, you know, doesn't sort of get the picture at that point, then if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Worst of the worst. So, um, these tax collectors are, they're the lowest in society. But we see them weaved into the story of Scripture in some incredible ways. We see these people who are tax collectors, we see them as a significant part of the story of Jesus. I'm going to share with you the most, at least in my opinion, really the most amazing interaction between Jesus and one of these traitors. Traitors to their family, traitors to their country, traitors of the worst sort. 
This is in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. It says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. That's the most amazing interaction between Jesus and the tax collector right there. We're going to circle back to that. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Other versions say notorious sinners, well-known sinners. They didn't just sin in private, they sinned in public, and they were proud of it. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And that's the politest, the most polite word that English translators can come up with to translate what was intended in the Greek. Why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he added, this is partially because of my personality, but I really like this part. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. That, by the way, is like depancing the bully. Because the Pharisees, oh, they knew the scripture. In fact, they were full of pride about how well they knew the scriptures. And for somebody to tell them to go and learn the meaning of a scripture, <laughs> that is an insult beyond insults. The scripture is this, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus sums up the whole problem, the whole issue with the Pharisees in one simple quote from the Old Testament. It's about mercy. It's about what's going on internally. It's not about your ritual. It's not about meeting certain regulations. It's not about following the rules in a certain way. For I have come to call those who think they are righteous. Sorry, I misread that. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Um, the amazing interaction is, I think, in verse 9. So, given what I've explained to you about tax collectors, this interaction between Jesus and Matthew, also called Levi, if you're going to do Bible trivia later, uh, the amazing thing about this interaction is, is Jesus, who is like the most popular rabbi of his day, Massive crowds around him. He walks up to Matthew, this person who is completely on the other end of this, the moral scale. Who's, this is literally probably the person who is the furthest away from God by all appearances. Jesus walks up to that person and gives him a simple invitation. Come and be my disciple. It's a simple invitation, but it is a significant thing. It means that Matthew will leave behind everything that he's known in the past. He's going to drop his character traits of 
betraying people, of stabbing people in the back, of, of sinning in public, of being proud of the way that he is manipulating others and abusing his power, Matthew is going to leave all of that behind because he knows that Jesus isn't for that. He knows that Jesus is for something completely different. Matthew is also going to leave behind all that he has amassed in terms of physical possession. I'm thinking, because of the story of Zacchaeus, and because of what we know in history about these tax collectors, Matthew was a very wealthy person and could have gotten really as wealthy as he wanted to, so long as he flew under the radar of Herod, who liked to be really the chief tax collector. Matthew is going to leave all of that behind. Matthew is going to leave his protection behind. He's going to leave this career as tax collector, but oh, lots of people know Matthew, and they know where he's come from. And I'm thinking there's probably one or two people who especially want revenge. And what if Matthew now is out from under the protection of the Roman government? Matthew just put a massive target on his back. Matthew is leaving behind this power chip that he has played, I'm sure, a number of times where he just calls whenever he doesn't like somebody and says, that person needs to go away. That person is not paying their taxes. That person needs to be in prison. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of a fun power chip to have to play? People you don't like. People you don't want to interact with any longer. People who are giving you problems. And just call somebody and say, yeah, they're not paying their taxes. And suddenly, they're gone. Their family's being tortured. All kinds of problems enter into their lives. Matthew is leaving all of that behind. To do what? Well, Jesus calls his disciples to do some pretty extraordinary things, right? So extraordinary that oftentimes after Jesus gives a teaching, his disciples say, Oh, Lord, increase our faith. They're saying we have no hope of doing that unless God does a supernatural work in our hearts, our hearts and our minds. That's how difficult that teaching is. And do we think Matthew is one who loves to take on difficult things? No. Matthew has had a habit, has had a history of living the easy life, of manipulating his way to power and control and things and so on. So do you see how this is a significant interaction between Jesus and this tax collector? This is absolutely extraordinary. And it brings a question to us whether or not we are willing to, at the invitation of Jesus, leave our past lives behind and step into all of the things that God would ask us to step into. Um, <clears throat> 
I can think of a variety of people who have um, given up their old way of life to step into a new way of life. For some reason, this is a bad example, but um, one of my wife's former bosses um, did this thing where he got into a lot of debt and actually left his old life behind and, and escaped to Mexico. Like I said, this is a bad example. But this is what came to my mind. And uh, my, my wife ended up in a position where she could have potentially gone to jail. Um, so if you can just ask Heidi on the way out. So I heard you almost went to jail and see if she can pull the story. Um, that'd be good. I'm going to keep telling stories about her until she comes into the service to hold me accountable. Uh, are we, you and I, are we willing to respond to Jesus' invitation? Come, follow me, and be my disciple. To what degree are we willing to give up our past lives, our things, our way of life, in order to step into all that God invites us into? Well, there's another question in this interaction between Jesus and Matthew. Uh, the, I mean, how is it possible? I mean, is it, is it just that Jesus is that good and when he comes over and, and does the direct invite, is it just because of his personal charisma that he was able to just somehow get through to Matthew, that Matthew just suddenly said, sure, I'll give up everything for you. I'm not sure that that's the case, and I don't want to downplay Jesus or Jesus' abilities or any of that in terms of salesmanship and recruiting. I'm sure Jesus was quite skilled in those areas. But I think there's more to the story. I think there's more to why Matthew responded the way he did and, and, and with the immediacy that he did. And I think we find the answer in Luke chapter 15, the first couple of verses. This is the passage of uh, Scripture where Jesus shares the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the, the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. Um, this is the, uh, the introduction to that, why Jesus told those stories. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Um, I think that Matthew has very likely eaten with Jesus previous to this encounter. At the very least, I think Matthew has heard about the kind of culture Jesus has established for his ministry. Because when the most popular rabbi goes and does something so extraordinary as hang, speak to, hang out with, and eat with the most morally reprobate in society, even if you weren't there, 
I bet you've heard about it. I bet word has gotten around about the kinds of extraordinary things that Jesus does. So I don't think that this is Matthew's first interaction with Jesus because Jesus has established this culture of no barrier to entry. Jesus has established this basic foundational ground rule to how you can now access the presence and the person and the love and the mercy and the grace of God. Jesus has reminded people that there are no barriers to entry. That anyone and everyone has the opportunity to turn towards God at any time. And that God will receive them with open arms. I think Matthew knows about Jesus. I think Matthew has been watching Jesus. I think Matthew has been having a conversation with God about what Jesus has been doing. I think God has been working behind the scenes in Matthew's life, making him think about whether or not there's actually value in being a tax collector, whether or not there's actually a good life in the pursuit of wealth through manipulation and power grabs and betrayal and being a traitor to his country. I think God has been working on his heart, reminding him that there is a much, much better way to live. That there is a place, there is a path to spiritual freedom. There is a path to moral integrity. I think God has been working behind the scenes in Matthew's life so that at that moment when Jesus comes and invites him to enter into the Jesus culture, Matthew is ready. Matthew is ready to be transformed by God. I wonder if in our own lives, if we create this kind of Jesus culture around us. I wonder if we are vigilant to ensure that there are no barriers to entry to friendship with us. I wonder if we pursue people who have betrayed us. I wonder if we invite people who have betrayed us, people who we might consider morally reprobate, I wonder if we invite them into our lives. I wonder if we would be willing to eat with, to develop friendship with people who we consider far from God. People who we consider beyond hope. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 31 Jesus explaining the meaning of a parable he tells about two sons, one son who is initially rebellious but eventually 
goes to do the right thing, and, and one son who just gives lip service to his father's request and ultimately doesn't follow his father's directions. In explaining the meaning of it, he says, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. And he's talking to the Pharisees. I'm sure they wouldn't have liked to have heard those words from Jesus. But he is making it clear that it's much better to be a repentant tax collector than to be an extraordinary rule follower. Um, Luke chapter 18, in verse 14, I'll give you the, uh, the punchline to Jesus' uh, bar joke. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. They each had their prayer in the temple. The Pharisee was praying and thanking God that he wasn't like the tax collector and was reminding God of all the good things that he had done. And the tax collector just came with a humble prayer asking God to forgive him. And so at the end it says, I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Well, we're missing... One story where Jesus interacts with a tax collector. And that's the story of Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19, uh, 1 through 9. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. I've climbed in a sycamore fig tree before, by the way. You should do that sometime. Um, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. It's almost like Jesus targeted these people, isn't it? It's almost like Jesus made a habit of pursuing People like this. He called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this house today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. So it is the work of God to pursue notorious sinners. It is the work of God to love our enemies. It is the work of God to turn traitors back toward home. The question for us is, will we enter into the work of God? 
Will we join God in His work? If you're here this morning and um, you like the idea of turning towards God, if you've never done that before, then I would love to have a conversation with you about that. I would love to help you turn back towards God. I know that uh, for most of us in the room, uh, we have turned towards God, and we're pursuing Christ in the way that we are living. So this is just a friendly reminder that the way of Christ, the work of God, is to target people who seem to be far from God and to invite them into our lives, to find ways to love them and to serve them and to include them, to find ways to engage in friendship with them. So, who are you going to invite to lunch this week? Who are you going to pursue on behalf of God? Who are you going to forgive for betraying you and reach out to? Who are you going to have lunch with? Let's pray. Father, every time we see uh, how you have manifested yourself by, by reaching out to people who are rebelling against you, we stand in awe. And as we're challenged to love our enemies, to reach out to people who have betrayed us, to pursue people in our culture who seem far away from you. As we're challenged to do these things, Father, we pray the prayer of the disciples that you would increase our faith. You would give us courage to step into obedience, that you would heal our hearts so that our our wounds no longer keep us from being able to pursue those who have betrayed us. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you would please stand. Uh, from 2 Corinthians 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. All right, thank you guys. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week, if not before. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks, and this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the Events tab at our website, awakenalaska.com, and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends, and we will see you next week.